Welcome to Chattachesis. I'm your host, Deacon Matt Hallback, PhD, and I'm also a deacon of the Diocese of Des Moines, Iowa. I'm your host of Chattachesis, a podcast series for clergy that helps them find creative and fresh ways to share the gospel message and promote missionary discipleship. This episode is brought to you by the newest K-6 catechetical program, Christ in Us and Cristo in Nosotros. It sets the standard for faith formation in today's world. Check it out today at sadlyreligion.com forward slash CIU. We think you'll agree that this innovative program will change the future of catechesis. Today I have the pleasure of speaking or chatting with our guest, Michael Taylor, Senior Consultant with Meidler, and he'll say a little bit about that, that role. And then also the Chair of the Conference Planning Committee for NALM. If you don't know what NALM is, it's the National Association for Lay Ministry. So Michael, first off, welcome to Chattachesis. Thank you. It's good to be with you, man. Yeah. Why don't you say a little bit about uh, your role both at Meidler, since it touches on the Catholic world, and your role with NALM? Sure. Well, I've been with Meitler since last year, and Meitler is a planning company that does planning with Catholic schools, parishes, and dioceses around the country. Um, strategic planning, new school feasibility studies, pastoral planning, and so forth. Uh, but before I worked at Meitler, I was involved at, I worked at a lay ministry formation center in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the St. Clair Center at Cardinal Scripps University. So I was doing ministry formation and leadership development there and thought it would be good to, to try applying those, those skills in a new setting with Meitler. And then with NALM, um, I am chair of the conference planning committee. Each year, NALM does an annual conference. This year, it will be May 31st, June 1st, June 2nd um, on, online. And I'm chairing up the committee to, to put together that national conference. And we'll talk just a little bit about that conference um, later in the show. But uh, again, if you if you didn't catch it in the beginning, NALM is the National Association for Lay Ministry. And we're chatting with Michael Taylor, who's the conference planning committee chair. So why don't we back up? Because this whole episode is really focused on helping our listeners know a little bit more about NALM and the important role they've played in the Catholic Church in the United States for several decades now. So why don't we start at the beginning? Can you tell us a little bit about the origin of NALM, Michael? Sure. After Vatican II, you know, there was this emergence of, of what we now call lay ministry, which required people to, to receive formation. So back in 1977, uh, a group of lay formation directors, people who were directing programs to form these new lay ministers, this group of about 20 of them gathered in Philadelphia in 1977 at the invitation of someone named Brother Lachlan Sofield. Some mm -hmm. of you may have heard of Brother Lach or read some of his works. And so they gathered just to talk about their experience of, of forming lay people for ministry. Mm -hmm. And um, they enjoyed the conversation so much. They said, let's do this again next year. And so they gathered again. And then they decided to gather again in 1979. And, and their conversations about how they were ministering to the ministers were so positive that they said, maybe we should support this with some sort of organization. Should we form a national association? 
Mm-hmm. So as we often do, they formed a committee to study whether they should form a national association. And so finally in 1980, they said yes. And, and they formed a national association, but at that time it was called the National Association of Lay Ministry Coordinators. Oh, interesting. So it was not for all lay ministers. In the beginning, mm-hmm. it was for people who worked in diocesan offices overseeing lay ministry or worked in seminaries or Catholic universities doing lay ministry formation. Um, that was the origins of it. You know, they, they started meeting in 1977, made it formal in 1980. One of the things that, that I like about that is that the, the mission and the communion preceded the organization. Yes. And, I, and you know, essentially that's the story of the church as well, right? You know, the, the mission and communion brought about through Jesus and the Holy Spirit were what got all of this started, and then the organization seeks to, to support that. Um, the other thing that's interesting you know, about 1980 is when they were formally incorporated, is that 1980 is when the U.S. Catholic bishops published their first document on lay people called uh-huh. the So there's a, a synchronicity there about the bishops publishing called and gifted about lay people and the official formation of this association. And we can probably assume that the founders had that document in mind, or do you think they were not aware of that document? Well, in 1977, when they first met, they were not necessarily aware of it, but they were certainly aware of it and and aligned with it and energized by it when they formally launched the association in 1980. It's a wonderful... Go ahead, Michael. Well, then it was four years later that they reevaluated and said, you know what, we want this association to be not just for lay ministry coordinators. And so they changed it to have its current name, the National Association for Lay Ministry. That was in 1984. Yeah, it's it's a lot of things are really interesting about the origin of NOM. Uh, one of them is that, as you pointed out very well, that the spirit preceded any kind of organ, organizing or infrastructure or committee work. And which came first, the Holy Spirit, or the committee. Thank God it's the Holy Spirit. That's uh, also interesting that another organization operating at that time, NCCL, which is focused on catechetical leadership, they too started out with a focus on directorship and then eventually opened it up to catechists in general. I wonder why that was. Uh, was that a thing, I guess, for Catholic organizations to start with the top and maybe form the top and hopefully it would just trickle down and um, and then we just shift gears and open it up to everybody? I'm not sure, but I just found that interesting. Well, I uh, think some of it may be that frequently people in those roles are the only one in their diocese in that role. Ooh, interesting. And it can be a rather lonely thing. Yes. And so to reach out to other people, even if it's in other dioceses who have a similar role and similar experiences, uh, I think is what the initial impetus was, was looking for other people who um, could be a, a peer learning group. Um, and you had to find that with with people in similar positions in in other places. To the best of your knowledge, is NOM kind of the first organization of its kind, uh, or were there other sort of forerunners that were looking to bring um, 
people involved in lay ecclesial ministry together for conversation and, and formation? Well, I would assume, I, I don't know, but I would assume that there were emerging associations for, for catechetical leaders, for pastoral ministers, for liturgical musicians. Um, I, I would think that each one of those sort of emerged on its own. I, I know they did not emerge as offshoots of the National Association mm -hmm. Ministry. So ministry-focused uh, beginnings for these organizations, but NALM is really, sounds like it's one of the first that sort of looks at the whole scope of lay ecclesial ministry um, and providing, again, uh, communication and uh, formation for ministers. Right, it, it does have a broader focus. And, and one thing that NALM likes to point out is that it is not the National Association of Lay Ministers, it's the National Association for Lay Ministry. And so NALM has members who are ordained. You know, there are priests and there are deacons who are part of NALM. There are religious sisters and, and brother Laughlin Sofield who helped initiate it, you know, a religious brother. So it's not just of lay ministers, but it is for lay ministry to, to empower lay ministers to develop lay leadership, but also just to, to advocate for the co-responsibility of both ordained and lay ministers in the service of the mission of, of Christ and the church. And kind of thinking historically about uh, documents from the USCCB that might have given a, a boost, if you will, to NALM. Uh, and I, I don't know what occurred in between uh, what you mentioned in 1980. And then we looked at 2005 with co-workers in the vineyard. Were there any such similar documents in between then that might have really enhanced or or spoken to the, the mission and message of NALM, uh, but certainly co-workers was another pivotal document. Well, in between the 1980 called and gifted and the 2005 co-workers, there was a 1995 document. So in 1980, the, the U.S. bishops wrote called and gifted, and, and they essentially said, we're still learning about lay ministry. And, and we need to continue to learn from this so that we can continue to speak about it. So 15 years later, they sort of reissued that document and said, they, they titled it Called and Gifted for the Third Millennium. Mm. So that was another time when the U.S. bishops publicly spoke about lay ministry and, and affirmed the importance of the lay vocation in general. Um, but then, yes, 2005, with co-workers in the Vineyard of the Lord about forming people for lay ministry, the NALM board was part of that conversation. You know, NALM offered suggestions to the USCCB subcommittee that was developing called and gifted, or I'm sorry, that was developing co-workers in the Vineyard mm -hmm. of the Lord, and the NALM board was one of the groups that was invited to review and critique the various drafts of co-workers as it was coming to completion. So NALM certainly felt like they were part of the process of developing that wonderful and important document. And I think, isn't there today um, a USCCB representative that is a part of NALM, um, NALM leadership? 
Well, there is a, an archbishop, Archbishop John mm -hmm. Wester of the Archdiocese of Santa Fe in New Mexico, who's the Episcopal Liaison. Liaison. Um, yes. Wonderful. Well, since uh, before we get into the, the formal mission of NALM, which we're sort of talking around right now anyway, uh, I'd like you to think back to your um, younger years uh, and to your time in the parish. And when did you first start noticing, or maybe it was always there, when did you first start noticing lay ecclesial ministers uh, in the parish or in parish life? And what were they doing? And what how was the parish responding uh to their presence or was it just that was always how it was as far as you recall well i didn't grow up in the catholic church i grew up in the episcopal church oh. um, and i joined the catholic church as an adult and okay. actually after i had started working in a catholic school uh -huh. um, my first teaching job after getting certified as a teacher was in a catholic school and then that felt so much like home that a couple of years later I went through the process and was confirmed as mm -hmm. Catholic. So it was while I was teaching in a Catholic school in a parish, um, St. Eugene Parish in, in Fox Point, uh, a suburb of Milwaukee, there were some wonderful lay ministers, you know, the the director of liturgy and worship, a wonderful man, um, the pastoral associate, a wonderful woman, who were very mission focused, who were very collaborative, who were wonderful examples of what lay ministry could be. Mm -hmm. And the pastor, Father Ken Knippel, was a, a firm believer in the importance of collaboration between mm -hmm. clergy and lay people. So it was a wonderful, healthy environment to, to learn about lay ministry. And later on, I, I left for a couple of years and then I came back and was principal there at that same school. So I was part of that pastoral team that was trying to get all the co-workers in the vineyard <laughs> to be working in the same direction in, uh -huh. in that parish. So that was a, a very formative time for me. Yeah, no small task either to corral them all. Is right. there since we since you mentioned the Episcopalian background, is there a, is there a lay ecclesial minister counterpart there in the church? Um, not that I'm aware of. Okay. Um, because the Episcopal Church uh, ordains married people and women, they have no shortage of ordained people. And so frequently some of the jobs that would be done in the Catholic church by lay people are done in the Episcopal church by ordained people, uh, not because the job requires ordination, but um, just because they have those people available. So I'd love to see more of an emphasis on, on lay ministry in the Episcopal church. So let's get to the mission of NALM, which we've been alluding to already. What, what does NALM bring to the table? How does NALM support uh, Catholic parishes in the United States? Well, I would say NALM supports people mm -hmm. who then are able to more effectively or more confidently carry out their ministry. And so, you know, NALM provides uh, programming like the annual conference or online listening sessions. Um, NALM is trying to support 
lay ministers in deepening their understanding, deepening their spirituality related to ministry and mission. Um, Nalm also published national certification standards for lay ministry in collaboration with other professional organizations like NCCL. And so providing sort of some professional standards and parameters and guidelines that can guide those of us who are lay ministers in our own ongoing formation. So those are some of the ways that mm -hmm. um, NALM will support lay ministers and um, lay ministers can can dive as deep as they want into NALM. You know, if they choose to just come to the annual conference once a year, that's mm -hmm. fine. But if they choose to get involved in some of the other work, some of the programming that NALM offers throughout the year, some of the advocacy work, then that can certainly, that, that, that increased engagement can lead to increased benefit for them. Well, to be honest, what caught my eye about NALM, uh, and I don't even know how it ended up in my inbox, uh, but there was a, a mention about a workshop by Tracy Lamont uh, just a few months ago on, on youth and young adult ministry. And she's a colleague of mine and a friend of mine and a uh, wonderful person, great scholar. And I thought, ooh, what else is uh, NALM up to? And I was just impressed with the number of workshops, the variety of topics and really the quality of the speakers. Yeah, NALM is able to connect with some wonderful people all around the country and in different types of ministry, I agree. So let's talk a little bit about your own experience with NALM. How did you get into the organization? What what drew you to it? And um, maybe it was you just had your hand up when somebody asked, how did you end up in this role as chair of the conference committee? All right. Well, when I first started working in lay ministry formation at the St. Clair Center at Cardinal Strict University, the other staff members of the St. Clair Center were members of NALM. And so I became a member of NALM, but not a terribly active one at first. Um, but then in 2016, NALM held its annual conference in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I was living in Milwaukee, but I grew up in Albuquerque and my parents were still living in Albuquerque. And I thought, oh, if I go to this conference, then I can visit mom and dad at the same time. So just <laughs> yeah. kind of a, a funny um, coincidence that led me to attend my first NALM conference back in 2016 in Albuquerque. And I got hooked. I've been a part of each conference or I've attended each conference since then. Um, and then I got more involved just last year, um, kind of like you got an email that made you say, hmm, I, as a NALM member, I received an email that said, we're looking for help in planning, you know, our conference. And, you know, this was during the COVID pandemic where everybody was trying to figure out how to do stuff online and in my ministry formation work, I've been doing a lot online with that. And so I thought, well, maybe I've got something to contribute. And so I joined the committee. And so we pulled off a, a very good conference back in June of 2021. And at the end of that, the, the president of NALM contacted me and said, 
would you chair the conference and the committee <laughs> planning committee next year? Yeah. And they, they had seen my involvement and, and ability to, to contribute and said, we'd really like you to chair the committee. So here I am. Well, going back to that 1980 document, if you're gifted, you'll be called. So yes. uh, we've been chatting with Michael Taylor, who's involved in NALM, the National Association for Lay Ministry. He's chairing the conference planning committee. Let's talk about the conference for 2022. What is the theme? Uh, who might be there as speakers? And why does everybody need to be there? Well, with the Vatican and, and Pope Francis inviting the worldwide church into a synodal process leading up to a synod on synodality in 2023, NAM decided to focus not just its annual conference, but its spring programming on that synodal process. And so there are going to be a number of, of listening sessions, dialogue sessions, conversation sessions related to some of the the themes of the Synod, and then at the end of May, beginning of June, the, the conference will pull all of that together uh, and, and engage people in dialogue and conversation about the Synod, about synodality, about how lay ministry fits into a synodal vision of church and how we need to continue to be open to the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit calls us to journey together forward to, to proclaim the gospel. So we're going to have three different um, plenary sessions where we've got a, a group of people, sort of a panel, who will converse among one another about uh, things like communion, participation, and mission, uh, the experience of synodality in the church, how mm -hmm. we're being called to grow, you know, how, we're, how we need to be formed by the Holy Spirit for synodality. And mm -hmm. so those, those plenary sessions will get the conversation started and then we'll break out into smaller groups where we'll be able to process that, respond to that, converse with other um, people attending the conference and so that, that cycle of listening, reflecting, and processing and dialogue together is mm -hmm. what we're really going to focus on this year for the conference. I was asked to uh, just sort of volunteer and help out with conference planning. And uh, I, what I really appreciate is the focus on dialogue and listening. Uh, very synodal. Uh, listening is at a premium these days. Um, it is an art form. I don't know if... Um, we do it well or practice it well or consider ourselves practitioners but uh, people who are intentionally listening to others um, can really do uh, some incredibly powerful things uh, and inspirational things they can be catalysts for very transformative things to occur um, but i love again that this entire event is really predicated on first listening to the holy spirit we have a wonderful prayer component in this conference, listening to one another, listening to the to the panels. Um, what else? What else do you think is a key component of synodality 
what what other sorts of actions or attitudes, if you will, do we need to be cultivating in order to be more synodal? Well, one thing that I think is important when you think of synodality and journeying together mm -hmm. um, is that that journey has a direction. Mm. You know, we're journeying together in the direction of mission, in the direction of proclamation mm -hmm. of the gospel. And so, you know, it's not just about, you know, building bonds of communion, but mm -hmm. out of those bonds of communion with one another and with God through the Holy Spirit, you know, out of mm -hmm. those bonds of communion needs to come movement and mm -hmm. movement towards mission, just mm -hmm. like the apostles had to get out of the upper room on on Pentecost. And so I think synodality needs to be seen as not just sitting in chairs in a circle, um, mm -hmm. but it, it's a rhythm, it's a process um, where you, you dialogue and then you take action. And mm -hmm. then you dialogue and then you take action. Your discernment is always the, the process that leads to doing something. And so I think that's an important part of, of synodality. I'm going to ask you one question that I know you didn't prepare for, okay. but I think you're, you're, you're certainly the right person to answer it. Uh, uh, just give me your opinion. Why, why synodality now? Why is that the focus? Why is the church focused on this right now? Well, I think some of it comes out of the fact that um, Pope Francis is coming from Latin America. Mm -hmm. And Latin America has been engaged in more of a synodal process for a couple of decades. Mm -hmm. And so in a way, I think this is the sharing of one of the gifts of the Latin American church with the worldwide church, because the church in Latin America has seen such such fruits emerge out of the way they have been journeying in a synodal manner for, for decades. So to a certain extent, that's the answer to the why now on a practical level, because we have a Pope from, from Latin America. Mm -hmm. But if you were also, wanting me to think about our own reality in the North American church. Um, why we need it now is that um, we need to get better at journeying together mm -hmm. within our country and within our church. Um, and the more we can listen to one another and see what binds us together, rather than the ways that we might differ from one another, the more effectively we'll be able to live out that mission that Christ calls us to. Yeah, I really appreciate your response. It was it was very, very deep. And I, I love that you started with the Latin American connection. And not a lot of people realize that um, the, the incredible influence that the church in Latin America has had on the church in North America for decades. Uh, and particularly through John Paul II, and we, we uh, got this wonderful term, new evangelization, which we all thought was so new uh, when, when, he, when we first heard him speak about it in 1983. 
but it precedes him and it goes back to the Medellin conference of 1969 in Colombia. And, right. uh, and it's a, not only with new evangelization, but this idea of basic ecclesial communities, which now we're practicing in the United States. And, uh, and here we are with synodality. And um, I think Francis is what a what a perfect um, Pope for right now to to really harness the energies and the theology um, and the spirit that's been feeling and feeding uh, that's been coming from Latin America and fueling and feeding the church in North America. And, and now we're in this wonderful experience of synodality. Yes, I would agree. And, and the, the process of synodality is not intended to be a narrow process. You know, yes, each diocese is called to initiate a diocesan process of synodality. Um, but there are there is encouragement for other groups to do similar kinds of things you know to so the fact that there are diocesan processes of synodality does not mean that nalm engaging in synodal processes is somehow competing with those or or outside of where this should be happening um because processes of listening and dialoguing and community discernment, the synodal you know, preparatory document hopes that each and every person will be able to contribute to those processes. Mm -hmm. And there's no way that a diocesan process can include everyone. There's no way that Nalm's process can include everyone. So the more opportunities people have to enter into this process of journeying together with one another and with the Holy Spirit, I think the the better. Agreed. Um, and in there, and what you said is that beautiful truth of subsidiarity and allowing the local those local conversations and processes to really uh, speak to those issues and problems and needs. And it shouldn't be that one organization or one diocese's process suits all there's no one size fits all in this church <laughs> which is a beautiful thing as yes, much as it is a, as much as it is a call to action as you just said to to get involved in a synodal process where you are and to listen to the spirit to listen to one another and journey together towards christ thank you so much for your time today michael if you would be so kind um, we always do this on our show the guest will offer a prayer for our listeners if you wouldn't mind doing that i sure would appreciate it all right, I'd be happy to. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Holy Spirit of God, we know that for 2,000 years you have gathered and gifted and guided your church, and we know that you continue to do that today. We are aware that you are present with us today and present with each of the listeners for this conversation and that you bring us all together even though we're separated by thousands of miles. And we pray Holy Spirit for all of the listeners to be open to your work, open to your inspiration, open to your wisdom, open to your energy and power so that they may be inspired, led, animated 
to do the work that you have called them to do. May they do it with faith, with hope, and with love. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We were chatting with Michael Taylor, Senior Consultant with Meidler uh, and Chair of the Conference Planning Committee at NALM. Thank you for the introduction to this organization. If somebody wants to find out more about NALM, where do they go? They would go to the NALM website, NALM.org. You heard it, NALM.org. Michael, have a blessed rest of your day and thank you for chatting with us. All right, thank you, Matt. Thank you for listening to another episode of Chattachesis. Head over to sadlyreligion.com forward slash podcast to hear more. And don't forget to request your sample and trial of Christ in Us and our bilingual edition, Cristo in Nosotros, at sadlyreligion.com forward slash CIU.